from Common Good Iowa, this is A Deeper Dive, the Iowa Policy Podcast. I'm Ann Disher with Common Good Iowa. The Iowa legislature opened its 2021 session on Monday, and Governor Kim Reynolds gave her condition of the state address Tuesday. I'm joined today on the podcast by my Common Good Iowa colleagues, Mike Owen, Mary Nell Treffs, and Sheila Hansen, to catch up on the first week at the Capitol and figure out what the action this week tells us about the weeks ahead. Mike, Sheila, Mary Nell, thanks so much for jumping on the Zoom today. Um, I think we want to cover several topics related to session, but before we dive into the policy talk, I actually wanted to start with the logistics of legislative session during COVID-19. Um, legislative leaders have made very few concessions to the virus. Uh, sounds like they're largely doing their work in person. There's no mask mandate. So a few days in, I just would like to know from you all, like, how is that going? It's been a bumpy first couple of days, at least for me. Uh, I, uh, we, right before session, we, we received about, I don't know, three pages of different protocol that would be followed. And, um, and basically, yeah, like you said, no masks. Um, they will try to social distance when they can. There were assignments for all of the different committees um, to be meet in different rooms, subcommittees, meet in certain rooms because that's where they would have the equipment to record the subcommittees. And uh, my first experience with the subcommittee was yesterday and there were three of them. And the first one I logged in just about two minutes too late because I couldn't find the login information and they were already done. So I had to, and then the second one, it was fine, but you know, it, it went around, but they never asked for any, uh, any input even from the people in the subcommittee room. Uh, they just said, unless you oppose it, we don't really want to hear from you. And then the third one, they really had a hard time with the audio. And when it was all said and done, they said, we're sorry, we're having a hard time with the audio, but we're going on with the subcommittee meeting. And then the last thing I'll throw in there is that we've we're told to submit comments and I've submitted comments, but I have no idea where those comments are, who has them, who gets them, who reads them if anybody reads them. So it's, it's a frustrating beginning. I don't know if it'll be any better as we move on or if this is just how it's going to go. Yeah, I kind of had um, an optimistic perspective to start the week, thinking that by streaming committee and subcommittee meetings, it could potentially make these meetings more accessible to folks who are outside of central Iowa or have trouble physically getting navigating through the Capitol. Um, and I think the potential is still there, but um, there remains a lot to be worked out and improved in terms of actually being able to participate in the process. You got to be able to hear, and I think you should still be able to weigh in and provide your feedback, whether you're physically in the room or if you're logged on through um, one of the webinar platforms. And can you just remind our listeners about the difference between a subcommittee and a committee meeting and what happens at those two different kinds of meetings? Sure. Uh, subcommittee is assigned by the committee chair and all, all bills are assigned a committee to a committee and then that committee is assigned um, a, to a subcommittee and subcommittees are generally made up of three individuals and since Republicans are currently in charge of both chambers, 
Republicans will have two members on the subcommittee and a Democrat will have one member on the subcommittee. Larger bills, they might have more members, maybe five or seven, but gen generally it's three people. And then that bill, once it passes out of subcommittee um, or it doesn't pass out of subcommittee, if it does pass, it moves on to the full committee for uh, discussion and debate and passage. And then once it leaves the committee level, if it passes, it goes on to the floor uh, or it goes on to the calendar for debate. And I, I think the thing that I guess that I think is key about the subcommittee meetings is that is the place where there's really opportunity for yes. public comment, right? Exactly. You're not allowed to speak in a committee meeting. You very, I've maybe been called on twice in a committee meeting by a legislator wanting some clarification or wanting some information. They have to ask permission from the chair to call on you if you're sitting in the room. Uh, subcommittee, yes, you're allowed to speak you know, for or against the bill uh, and uh, why you're against it, why you're for it. You could just be monitoring the bill, trying to get information on why that bill is even uh, introduced in the first place. Um, what are your hopes? What are your hopes for how this might improve? Mary Nell, you're the optimistic one. <laughs> you wanted to put in your optimism sure. and then I can yeah, follow I mean, it up with my uh, negative. <laughs> sure. I mean, I think like a lot of us over the past, past 10 months, we've gotten a lot more experienced at using these virtual platforms. And so I would hope our legislature could follow suit and really figure out ways to make this process as accessible as possible. I think if you think back to the constituents being the legislators' bosses, I mean, that's our opportunity to weigh in and provide feedback, and it's such a critical opportunity. So I really hope that um, in addition to implementing common sense public health measures, safety measures at the Capitol in terms of masks, uh, I hope that both chambers continue to live stream um, their committees and subcommittees and allow the public to participate, to speak through Zoom and actually read and give us an update on what happens to the comments that we submit and assurance that they don't just go to a black hole. I'd like to echo one of the optimistic points that Mary Nell has, you know, because, because we all do have more experience in this virtual world than we did a year ago. I think this is a tremendous opportunity for us to see what we can do in terms of expanding access to people throughout the state. I think this is a, this is a tremendous opportunity that the legislature should not let pass. Um, everybody knows only a certain amount of what gets done at the Capitol happens in a committee meeting. Things, things happen in a lot of different ways to get to the, uh, through the legislative process. But it is an important place. And for people to be able to participate from all corners of the state, and we forget sometimes how big of a state Iowa really is. Not everybody can get to the Capitol, certainly not during daytime hours. And so in this environment, this is a tremendous opportunity for the legislature to make sure all Iowans have access to this process. And those are good points. The subcommittees that I um, happened to be on yesterday, it was 
nice to see all of the different people that had logged in because you could see their names and that those were people that I know wouldn't have been up at the Capitol in the first place, but they actually get a chance to to watch this play out. I just hope that the process does improve and get better. So their their um, you know first opportunity is is more of a positive one. Well, obviously this is going to be important. I know we're doing most of our work, like many of our partners, most of our work virtually this year. So we're going to hope for hope for for Mary Nell's optimism. <laughs> Um, well, I'm going to, I want to shift the conversation a little bit. Obviously the legislature kicked off on Monday and as, as traditional, the governor gave her condition of the state address on, on Tuesday. I think it was a little untraditional in that she gave it in the evening as opposed to normal, normal morning hours. Um, I would just like to throw out for any of you to sort of reflect on her comments. What did you hear from her that was promising and what did you hear from her that was concerning? Let me start with a, with a general theme. I think it is great to recognize how people uh, across the state have stepped up in difficult circumstances throughout the last year. There's no question about that through storms and COVID and turmoil in our streets. And, you know, people have tried to step up and have helped. But I think that she really missed the boat what could have been a good opportunity to raise up what we do together as Iowans through our governmental structures, through public policy, to help us weather these kinds of, of storms. <laughs> They're literally a storm in some cases, sometimes figuratively. But one of the main reasons that we have come through this are because of public supports, financially and otherwise, that have carried us through to this point. I saw hardly any recognition of that in the governor's speech. And like the issue that we just discussed on grabbing an opportunity to increase access to our process, this was an opportunity to recognize what we do together through our public structures to help every Iowan. Yeah, and leading up to it, we knew that one of the areas I wanna highlight is childcare, that that uh, the governor had been talking about child care for quite a while last year, um, the previous legislative session, and lots of legislators, if you heard um, pre-session that child care would be a priority. And so she did bring it up. Uh, and then the, so the pessimistic side of me is that it was a big issue last year too, and that uh, really anything happened around child care. So this year, we're really hoping that something does happen because she brought it up again in her um, state of the, the state address. And uh, just a little, uh, probably dedicated, you know, around $50 million towards childcare. Uh, and it was like $3 million for uh, jumpstart programs through the childcare challenge fund. She had around $25 million for startup grants. She had $7 million for the wages program. And that's, uh, for folks who don't know it, offers salary stipends to early child care and education workforce. It's based on their level of education. And then they have to have a commitment to their employer. There's another uh, $38 million for stipends to facilities offering child care assistance and co-pay reimbursements. And then there was a tax credit increase from $45,000 to $90,000 for the child care tax credit, um, child independent care tax credit. And then she also offered at the very uh, end of her proposal, this wasn't directly in her speech, but these were, this was part of her budget, 
some a, a proposal to bring some folks together to talk about childcare, primarily the business community, the workforce community, and and really talk about us. She wants a long-term strategy for addressing the childcare crisis in our state. Uh, when I looked through the budget, I didn't see a lot. I need more money <laughs> allocated for childcare. So my assumptions are that. Iowa will use some of those federal dollars that Iowa, that we will receive. The feds uh, passed, you know, the COVID stimulus bill, and Iowa will receive around $92 million just for child care. And then there's a little bit of an increase in the child care development block grant of a, of a few million dollars, around $7 million. So there are new dollars coming into the state that, uh, that we should be able to, to access. Thanks, Sheila. What were some other highlights for, for Mary Nell or, or Mike? Continuing on the theme of being the optimist that I saw in her condition of the state was around mental health funding. That has also been an issue that has been a priority for her in the legislature over the past couple sessions. And she included over the next two fiscal years, $30 million um, from the state general fund to fund our state's mental health system. And not to get into debate whether or not that's enough, my guess is it's not anywhere close to enough in terms of dollars, but in terms of approach, I think it's the right direction. I think we need predictable, we need adequate, we need stable funding. And I think our organization always talks about how your budget is a reflection of your values. And we've been hearing a lot about how our legislators and governor think that mental health is important. So I think that it only makes sense for that importance to be reflected in our budget. There should be a line item, state funds should be going directly to support these critical services. So I see that as a good start and um, a good reflection of, okay, let's put our money where our mouth is. I think maybe another uh, another good thing in there was her interest in continued interest in broadband expansion, because that's uh, an issue of concern. If we are truly interested in a, an equitable state with people have opportunity across the board, whether it's in it's it's across the state. There's there are places where you cannot have good access. Um, to the internet. So, you know, that's where a lot of our communication and business is done these days and, and everybody needs access to it. So that's the details are yet to be seen and let's see how that works out. But I think it's great that she's emphasizing that. At the same time, I, I hate to have to have it on the other hand on, on, on every project, but there's some serious equity issues that are raised by uh, some of her proposals. Number one is in education um, in two ways. The first is the proposal for education savings accounts, which are school vouchers. And she's set it up to be fairly limited, um, although the legislative language is not available yet, on how uh, this will be applied. It's, it's the nose under the tent for this to happen across the board. It's what there are advocates for uh, private schools that are pushing for this. This is going to be their opening to get it or to 
to pursue it harder with the governor supporting it. It is a, a challenge to, at, at least to public schools and, and more likely a serious threat to public education throughout our state. Our obligation as Iowans comes through our public education system. Um, people have access to private schools. They can go that route. There's significant debate as to whether we have any public responsibility to fund those private schools. So this is a major step, a major fundamental change in the way we operate in Iowa. That's number one. And by the way, those public schools and re which have been underfunded for years in this state are the place where people who are most disadvantaged in our system have an opportunity to step forward. Uh, private schools are not gonna be something that's an option for lots of people in our state just because they are not available uh, throughout our state. Plus there's very little accountability that you, can, that you can assure through a private school system with public dollars. So um, that's going to be a major issue. Also in education is the idea that open enrollment will be expanded by uh, doing away with diversity plans that exist in five school districts in our state, where that's very important. Uh, thing to make sure that all people have access. I know another area where I want Mike to, to jump in is to talk a little bit about her tax proposals and another area where I think we, we have some concerns. Uh, the biggest concern is that the proposals that she has presented are going to be costly. And that affects all of the various public services that exist. Uh, we still have to get some good revenue estimates from the revenue department, but some of the early examination that we've seen on this so far is that we're talking about at least $400 million loss in a couple of years. And there may be proposals to step that up even further, you know, further. So um, it's a uh, question of adequate revenues to provide the public services that we need that can be um, turned back with this plan. It is um, a step, uh, I wouldn't say a step, it's, it's not a step backward in terms of equity. Um, when uh, from the standpoint that she did not repropose her sales tax for sales tax increase for income tax and property tax cuts that she proposed last year. Um, that may come again in the future, but um, that would be something that would be uh, putting lower income Iowans at a distinct disadvantage. We have a system in Iowa that taxes lower income people at higher rates than higher income people. It's, it's not logical and uh, it's something that has long needed reform. We're not going in the direction of reform yet on that. That's a, that was a discouraging uh, 
it, it's discouraging in general that we cannot take positive steps toward more equitable tax policy that funds our public services adequately. And I think that, you know, I think the point you make, Mike, is that, you know, no matter what the sort of area of public service you care about is, they're all affected um, by tax changes that, you know, end up really reducing the amount of revenue that comes into our general fund. Um, I, before we close... I one other thing on yeah. that, um, and that is that the idea behind the previous plan was that we were going to find some new dollars for water quality and recreational opportunity in our state, which voters passed a constitutional amendment to seek back in 2010. And the governor did not make any mention of the concern about water quality in her condition of the state address. It is certainly no less a concern now than it was when she made her proposal last year. And it is certainly no less a concern than it was when the voters passed the constitutional amendment in 2010. This is a persistent problem where we are not assuring that pollution in our waters primarily from the agriculture sector is, uh, is going to be addressed. Well, you raise an issue. You raise an issue of something that um, is an important public priority where we didn't hear any information about it in the governor's address. I'm, I'm curious about other sort of priorities of, of ours and our partners um, where, where the news is that it's not on the radar. What are some things that, that our, our leaders really aren't talking about that they should be? One thing that stood out to me was the lack of discussion around maternal health. Um, obviously, you can't touch on every single issue in one speech, but that is something that the, the governor did allude to as being one of her priorities last year. And I hope it wasn't just a flash in the pan. I hope that she and her party commit to an ongoing dedication to improving maternal health in our state, particularly for our mothers of color who we know are experiencing extremely poor outcomes. So that's that was one of my disappointments. I also think she didn't really talk about COVID, um, you know, sort of the an elephant in the room, <laughs> no pun intended, but there was there was not a lot of discussion of that. You know, you could look out in the, the chamber where she was giving her speech and see not very many people there. You know, the Democrats chose to listen to her speech in another location. Uh, and so, and then all this access we've been talking about to uh, subcommittees and committees to legislators is, is hindered. And so I didn't hear a lot about that uh, and what she has moving forward, you know, maybe a plan to make sure that all kids are in school, the 100% uh, in school have that choice. So maybe she did address it there. But to me, we're, we're not over it yet. And there still needs to be some, uh, I don't know, leadership, I guess, on her part, figuring out how we move forward. 
Yeah, I think on that line too, I think we didn't hear a lot of discussion around even really vaccines and, and about that strategy to make sure we're getting vaccines out in an orderly way and as timely way as possible. And I, I, that struck me as a real um, absence in her speech as well. Any other final thoughts? Well, I want one last thing, and, and we're talking about this, the safety, and it, it is hard to monitor uh, from afar what's happening at the Capitol. And, and uh, just the last thing around safety is that these threats that are happening to all 50 states have had threats to their Capitol. And it, it, I, I still don't really see anything happening to prevent that, you know, what's happening. And maybe it's happening behind the scenes to keep people safe at our Capitol. Uh, and right now, I don't know how many people are staying away. And, and so access is really extremely limited for lots of reasons right now. Well, on that extremely cheerful note, <laughs> we can wrap this up. That, don't I? <laughs> and I sure appreciate, I appreciate these conversations. I hope our listeners find some, some little bits of insight in there. I'm sure we'll pull, pull us all together again as the session uh, goes along and, and do a little update. So thanks so much.